AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the AML Hub Podcast. Today we'll be speaking to our steering committee member, Naval Dava, from MD Anderson Cancer Centre in Houston, US. My name is Naval Dava and today I will be talking about emerging approaches and therapies for TP53 mutated acute myeloid leukemia. There has been tremendous progress in the treatment of acute myeloid leukemia over the last four to five years with the approval of eight new therapies uh, for multiple different subsets of AML, including frontline uh, patients uh, with FLT3 inhibitor mitostorin added to induction chemotherapy, as well as the addition of gemtuzumab to the backbone of standard induction, which appears to be especially beneficial in patients who have core binding factor acute leukemia. Also, one of the most important breakthroughs and advances has been the treatment of older acute myeloid leukemia who are not considered to be suitable for cytotoxic induction chemotherapy with the combination of azacitidine and venetoclax as well as low-dose ARC and venetoclax showing three to four times higher response rates and dramatic improvement in overall survival as well as two and three-year survivals based on phase two and emerging phase three data. And also in relapsed AML, there have been major progresses with the identification of TP53, IDH1, IDH2, FLT3, and especially approval of targeted agents for IDH1, IDH2, and FLT3, which have shown significant responses, very good tolerability, and much better outcomes than we were historically getting with traditional high-dose chemotherapy or hypomethylating agent alone in relapsed AML. However, in spite of all these progresses, there remain certain areas of uh, high, high unmet need. One of those is presence of a TP53 mutation. TP53 mutations are present in about 15% of acute myeloid leukemia across the board. They're more frequent in certain subsets of acute myeloid leukemia, such as older patient population above 65. The incidence of TP53 mutation is usually about 20 to 25%. And also in patients who have secondary AML or therapy-related acute myeloid leukemia, which means acute myeloid leukemia coming from a pre-existing hematological disorder, such as myelodysplastic syndrome, or myelofibrosis, uh, or acute myeloid leukemia arising from prior chemotherapy or radiation therapy. So in these patient populations, uh, we see the TP53 mutation incidence can be up to 30 to 40% at presentation. Also, we very frequently see that the TP53 mutation seems to co-occur with the presence of poor risk cytogenetics, which includes specifically chromosome 17P, where TP53 is located, but also frequently with other high-risk cytogenetic aberrations, such as deletion of chromosome 5, 7, 3Q, and others. So there has been a lot of research ongoing now into understanding both the biology as well as ways to target TP53 AML. One of the things that we are learning, and data on this is emerging, was shown at the ASH meeting last year and will be published from our group, Moffin and others, is that all TP53 is not alike. This is not a homogeneous population, and there are multiple factors that impact how a TP53 AML will behave. The three most important features seem to be the VAF, which is the variant allele frequency or the amount of TP53. And what we're finding is that patients who have more than 30 or 40% TP53 VAF are the ones who seem to have the poor prognosis. Low VAF TP53, 10, 15% may not have the same inverse or adverse prognostic impact. The other things we see are the presence of adverse and high-risk cytogenetics when this is seen along with TP53, 
does further further make the impact more negative. Uh, patients who have low VAF uh, TP53 without adverse cytogenetics can actually do well even with cytotoxic chemotherapy. This is a small subset, maybe 10 to 15% of all TP53 mutated AML. But I think in the future, identifying this subset as a unique subset that may have TP53, but the impact is not as bad as with the high VAF and the adverse cytogenetics with TP53. So where are we with the treatment of TP53 AML? For many years, uh, we tried different high-dose cytotoxic chemotherapy approaches, 3 plus 7, FLAG-IDA, CLAG-M, CLIA. Many centers have been using different approaches to treat TP53 AML. We find that with high-dose cytotoxic induction therapies, the response rates are not too bad. Maybe 50 to 60% CRCRI have been reported in TP53 newly diagnosed AML across multiple phase two, phase three studies. However, almost all these studies show that the duration of response is very short between five to eight months in TP53 AML with induction therapy. And the median overall survival usually is in the range of nine to 11 months. So this population has always done poorly there has been no cytotoxic induction therapy that has shown significant improvement and it remained an area of unmet need. We started seeing some encouraging data with uh, hypomethylating agents such as decidabine, azacitidine in the TP53. Uh, the in initial thought was that TP53 AML seems to respond at the same rate to azacitidine, decidabine as the non-TP53 AML. And many of the phase two, phase three studies with azacitidine, decidabine done between 2005, 2015, showed that in TP53 AML, the response rates were about 40 to 30% for CRCRI, which was quite similar, maybe a little bit better than the non-TP53 AML. There was a very important study that was published in the New England Journal of decidabine given not for five days as usual, but for 10 days, so an extended course of decidabine. And what was seen was that with that extended course of decidabine, there seemed to be an enrichment of responses with bone marrow remissions seen in 90 to 100% of people and TP53 variant allelic ratios dropping significantly. Now, this was a small study that included frontline relapse patients, um, showed some striking activity in TP53, which is why, of course, it was published in New England Journal. Unfortunately, subsequent confirmatory studies, including a randomized phase two study of decidabine 10 days, versus the more standard side being five days was done at our institution and did not show a clear benefit either for response or for improved survival in general AML population, but also not in the TP53 AML. So at this time, you know, we are not extremely convinced that the decide being 10 day had something special. There may be some benefit. We did see some trend for improvement in survival in our randomized phase two study, which is published in Lancet Hematology but still nothing clear. So then of course, uh, the field changed dramatically in 2015-16 with the advent of the azacitidine, decidabine in combination with venetoclax, where we started seeing very high response rates, CRCRI rates of almost 70 to 75%. And in addition, we started seeing that many of these patients were having very durable responses with the median overall survival for the general population of 18 to 20 months as compared to eight to 11 months that we were getting with azacitidine decidabine alone for many years in the phase two, phase three published data sets. So that then has led to a significant uptake and use and FDA approval of azacitidine or decidabine in combination with venetoclax 
in older AML patients who are not fit for intensive induction chemotherapy. Additionally, we started seeing that across multiple subsets, the response rates were quite high uh, with the combination of HMA venetoclax, especially in NPM1, IDH1, IDH2 patients, we were seeing CRCRI rates of almost 80% with very durable CRCRIs. And initially it appeared that even in the TP53 mutated AML patients, response rates were quite high with CRCRI rates of about 50%. However, with more follow-up, it has become clear that in the TP53 mutated AML, the survival was not significantly improved, maybe some improvement with the HMA venetoclax versus HMA alone, but the median survival across the phase two and phase three studies is between five and eight months. Median duration of response is four to six months. So even with the azacitidine, decidabine, venetoclax, the TP53 mutated AML remains a very high risk unmet need. So this has kind of led to the development and the focused uh, research in TP53 AML in the clinic. There are now two drugs specifically that seem to be at least in early phase 1b to phase 2 data show early signals of response and durability. These two agents are a CD47 antibody as well as a APR243. So first talking a little about the CD47 antibody. This is a very novel and a completely unique mechanism of action. This is not a targeted therapy. This is not an antibody drug conjugate, a CAR T cell, or a immune checkpoint for T cells. It is actually an immune checkpoint that works on the surface of macrophages. And by blocking CD47 on the surface of the tumor cells, it removes the inhibition that the tumor cells exert onto the macrophages. And by allowing this, it increases the activity of the macrophages, uh, enabling them to do their phagocytosis. Uh, and this has shown to work across many tumor types, but most preclinical data, most striking preclinical data was in acute myeloid leukemia, myelodysplastic syndrome, and in certain subsets of lymphoma. So uh, we are now seeing that with the combination of the azacitidine with the CD47 antibody, uh, we're seeing high response rates across acute myeloid leukemia populations in the frontline setting. Given, of course, this is a small study, the overall response rate is about 65%, including a CRCRI rate of about 60%. And especially in the TP53 mutated acute myeloid leukemia patients, we're seeing that the response rates are being maintained with a CRCRI rate of about 75%. But what's most encouraging with this combination is the durability of response in TP53 AML, where we're seeing a median duration of response not yet reached with the follow-up of eight months, which already bodes quite favorably as compared to what was seen with the azacitine venetoclax. And at this time, median survival has not been reached either in the entire population or the TP53 mutated AML. Now, granted, the follow-up so far is short at this time, about eight months, so we need to continue following this. Based on this encouraging activity in TP53 AML, the protocol has been amended to focus on TP53 mutated AML populations uh, going forward. And we think that there may be a path for registration given the higher CRCRI, the more durable response, and the early signal for improved survival compared to even azacitidine and venetoclax. We have done some correlative analysis. These were presented at the EHA meeting uh, this uh, 2020. And what we're seeing is that when we look at TP53 VAF or variant allele frequency, there seems to be a very uh, general and consistent clearance of the TP53 variant allele frequency 
in patients treated with the azacitidine and the CD47. And many of those patients are achieving MRD negativity and cytogenetic remissions. The other agent that is being developed in this field is a drug called APR. This is a TP53 folding inhibitor. And uh, now studies were shown at ASH and EHA combining azacitidine with the APR and response rates with this combination, especially in MDS, where most of the work has been done, have been very high, about 70 to 80%. But even in AML and the small subsets of patients treated, we are seeing high response rates in the range of 60 to 70%. Uh, in the MDS population, where most of the work has been done with the APR, we clearly see a signal for improved survival on the single-arm phase two studies with survival of about 13 months. Based on this, a randomized phase three study of azacitidine APR versus azacitidine in higher risk MDS patients has just completed a couple of weeks ago. And we hope by December, Jan 2020, 2021, we shall have the top line results, which hopefully will lead to the approval of azacitidine APR and MDS. In AML, we are still in the early stages. Um, we do see that in the high blast AML, uh, above 30% blast, the AZA APR does not seem to have as good response rates based on some French data presented at the EHA meeting in 2020. So it may be that this is more effective in low blast MDS or oligoblastic AML, but maybe not as clear in high risk AML. We need more patients and work. But I think this is now leading to potential registration paths for these two new drugs, which may be improvements for the high risk TP53 AML. And of course, if they do work as doublets, the next question is, can we think of triplets combining azacitidine venetoclax with CD47? There is a study for that starting at our institution in a few weeks, or azacitidine venetoclax with APR. There's already an ongoing study for that. Or potentially combining in the future azacitidine with CD47 with APR, so a double TP53 targeted approach. So we have to wait, watch this space. But for the first time in many years, there appears that there could be some targeted approaches for TP53, and we may start looking specifically in the future to carve out this population like we already do for FLT3, IDH1, IDH2. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, take care. AML Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.